0: It's not just magic that I feel or I'm able to see the value in myself now. I sometimes sit down and and do the things that I used to believe were a complete waste of time, spend 30 minutes writing out the answers to all these questions to challenge my thoughts because now I don't carry that weight with me all day. I work through it and then I move on and I'm able to enjoy my day.
1: Welcome to the ADHD Lounge Podcast. Whether you are someone with ADHD or a learning disability or just curious to learn more, come hang out with us in our lounge. I'm Alex. I'm a mom, a New Yorker, a Mets fan, a yogi, and a brunch enthusiast. I also happen to be diagnosed with dyslexia and ADHD at the age of eight. I'm the founder of Capable Consulting, a coaching and consulting business that supports adults with learning disabilities and/or ADHD. And I'm Katie, an ADHD advocate, coach, mom, author, founder of Women in
2: ADHD, and I host the popular Women in ADHD podcast. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and now I have made it my mission to help neurodivergent adults learn to love their brains.
1: In each episode, we'll be diving deep into the world of ADHD, discussing unique challenges, sharing our personal stories, providing support and resources, and bringing in experts to help us along the way. You can also find the two of us over
2: at the Lounge.com, an all-in-one ADHD coaching community for personalized guidance, goal planning, skill building, expert roundtables, and so much more to help you make the most of your amazing brain and live life to the fullest.
1: So grab your favorite drink, maybe a croissant, grab a seat, or start walking or cleaning or however you choose to listen, because at the ADHD Lounge, you can come exactly as you are.
2: Welcome to episode five. In this episode, Alex and I talk to ADHD coaches, Bree Plyler of Current ADHD and coach Andy Gill about redefining and reframing what success looks like. We talk about how we've managed to stop comparing ourselves to neurotypicals and what works for us and for our clients when it comes to changing our self concept
1: we also talk about playing to our strengths and recognizing that qualities that we've historically viewed as character flaws just might turn out to be our greatest strengths. So listen in to our interview with Bree and Andy, and hopefully you'll be able to add some tools to your toolbox.
2: All right. Well, welcome. I'm so excited. We've got Bree Plyler and Andy Gill are joining us for today's episode. Thanks so much for showing up, guys.
3: You're
0: welcome. Thank you for having us.
1: I think it would be really great if we could have Andy and Bree kind of introduce yourselves to our audience. I mean, some people in our audience might be hearing you for the first time, so love to get to know you a little more.
3: My name's Andy Gill. I live in Connecticut with my wife and my two kids. Well, that's not completely true because my daughter goes to school in Massachusetts now. So anyway, they're great kids. We like to have them. They're fun to have around. My background is in construction construction management like 20, 25 years worth of that. And then a couple of years ago, went to IPEC coaching school and I spent a couple of years um, exclusively coaching ADHDers, which was a a shift. Now I do a bunch of different things, but we're back into building and um, real estate investing as well as coaching and coaching real estate investing, that kind of stuff.
2: That's awesome. How old were you when you were diagnosed with ADHD? Were you diagnosed in childhood?
3: I don't really remember too well, but like I, I know I remember being told that I had um, ADHD, but I was formally diagnosed when I was like 28 when my son was born. So, And I'm 46, so that's uh, 18 years, I guess.
2: Was it tied to having a baby that you sought the diagnosis or...?
3: Yeah, my son um, has cystic fibrosis, so like always, you know, we always tell people there's like, you know, you're juggling two balls, three balls, four balls, five balls, and then the shit just falls, and so that was, uh, you know, we have we had a son, my uh, child in the hospital for an extended period of times, and I just couldn't function, yeah, so I was, ended up diagnosed, you know, with depression and whatever, and I remember Dr. Jazari in Norwich, Connecticut saying, do you think you might have this, and I said, yeah, all right.
2: Wow. That's amazing. God, I wish somebody had said that to me when I had babies. <laughs> it would have made things very different. And what about you, Bree?
0: I am Bree Plyler. I'm also a certified ADHD life coach, so a life coach first who has an additional layer of education through the IAPS Center, and I choose to only coach folks with ADHD, self-diagnosed or folks that relate to an ADHD diagnosis. I live in South Carolina, but I spend a lot of time here in New York City. I'm here again now. And speaking of having babies, I was 17 when I had my daughter, which I later learned was a really common experience for those of us with untreated or undiagnosed ADHD. So I just have the one daughter and she's a sophomore in college, which is fantastic. My husband and I both have ADHD and we've now owned a couple of businesses together, also including a construction company. So Andy is like our perfect best friend, being an ADHD coach and a construction guy. He can talk to either of us. It's great. Um, And he's a fantastic coach. What else is important to know I was diagnosed when I was 34 so I parented my daughter basically through her entire life without knowing I had ADHD fortunately I was developing skills along the way and I was in therapy for different reasons and gaining some emotional regulation tools I just didn't have a name for it and when I was diagnosed I guess right at the beginning of COVID my life was flipped on its head and um, everything since then has just been a beautiful wild ride
1: well said I feel like this is so common with people getting diagnosed since COVID because it's like the first time you might be going to therapy or it's the first time you're actually sitting with your own thoughts because there's so much less to do or there's so much more to do. And all of a sudden you're also maybe watching your kid who is going through school and realizing, oh, my kid can't sit. Oh, neither can I. I feel like that's the conversation I have every, every week when somebody tells me they were diagnosed in the last three years.
0: Yeah, so mine actually wasn't related to that. I'd been kind of doing research and some other stuff that was happening that led me to a diagnosis. It just happened to happen during the beginning of COVID. But a lot of my clients, it was losing the structure. You know, had they went from being in academia, you know, through college and then into the corporate world where they had structure created for them. And COVID was the first time that that fell away. And that's when they were like, wait. How do I make decisions or decide what to do in my day and prioritize? For many of my clients, that was their experience. It's like, this is very different.
1: Yeah, I've had that a lot with my clients too. It's not just that, but it was also some clients were like, I got to work from home and it meant it was the first time they actually had a door. And so some were like, this is great. I don't have distractions. And others were like, I have no structure. I don't know what to do. And how do I find it? So that's so interesting.
3: Right.
2: Now, Alex was diagnosed in childhood, so her experience was a little different. But one of the things I always talk about on the podcast is very rarely, I I don't think I've ever met anybody who was diagnosed in adulthood who wasn't like, usually when you're diagnosed, something terrible is happening, right? Like nobody says, I want a name for this superpower I've just discovered, right? Like you've hit rock bottom in some way. And so either it is when you have a baby, or you, you know, you're you're googling things like what is wrong with me. (laughs) And so that diagnosis does feel like such an amazing revelation to us in adulthood, where you're like, oh, finally, I have figured out what's wrong with me. And, but oftentimes, and I don't know if you guys have the same experience, but then I have people who come to me as client coaching clients who are like, I finally figured out what's wrong with me. How do I fix me? And that's where it's like, you need to like deconstruct what does it mean to quote unquote, fix yourself?
3: Mm. Yeah.
1: I think that's where the comparison game comes in. Because not only do you try and figure out how to manage your life the way somebody else does, and they've already created the structure for you to follow, but then you're trying to now, compare yourself to somebody who's been, for example, myself, who's been diagnosed and I was diagnosed at eight and I had all of these coping skills earlier. And people are like, Well, what exactly do you do? Because I want to do exactly the same thing. I'm like, You are in your own lane and everybody has their own unique story and experience. So, how do you help people kind of put themselves in a way that is creating strategies that really help them? in their own light, in their own way that's unique to
0: them and their journey? I love that question. And one thing that I tell every potential client, and I talk about it on Instagram all the time, is that I wholly believe that ADHD is hard, obviously, but I think the shame and the comparison is what really makes it debilitating. And so I work with my clients from the beginning on navigating the negative self-talk and thought work to shift their mindset As we're developing tools, because you can, you can have tools all day long, but if you either don't know how to use them, obviously, or you don't believe that you should have to use them, if that's the kind of voice playing in your head, then they're not going to get you anywhere. And it's just going to further the spiral that I should be able to do this. I shouldn't need these tools and all these tools that can make your life so much easier. You won't use them yet. So I believe that that thought work and that mindset shift and the healing of the negative self-talk have to happen first.
2: Totally. I agree. And and I actually find it really frustrating when I see coaches, you know, disregarding that. Like, I, I get it. I, I encourage people to, to work on that in therapy, but I also feel like uh, I use the analogy of a, of, of a personal trainer, right? Where I'm like, if a personal, if you come to a personal trainer and you've got a gaping flesh wound, the personal, and you're like, I don't want to, you know, disregard the flesh wound. I just want to get on the treadmill and, and get fit. It's, it's unethical to be like, okay, let's do that.
1: But I also think that's what people are looking for. You're looking for that quick fix because that is what's so satisfying and gratifying to like have something like now I know, let's, let's figure it out. But Katie, what you basically just said is like, you want to jump on the treadmill. You're really, you have to look for the wound. Why did you have the wound? Did you fall? You know, like before you even get on the treadmill again, you need to figure out why are you doing all of those things?
3: It's weird in the how clients come into your life at different intervals and while you're growing through different things yourself, right? So, and I think that that has a lot to do with how you coach people through. And everyone comes at different parts of their journey and they will acknowledge where they're at if you give them the space and make them feel safe. And so, like, we could do lit, like, I'm not a list type coach, like, I'm not gonna, I don't do action, like, I'm really bad in that way. Is like, if you're all right, tell me what to do and. And I don't know what you need to do. You know, I can we can brainstorm some different things and see where you're at. But uh, setting people up for with just list of shit to do is really in a lot of ways setting them up for failure and, and then they become disconnected and coaching altogether. So a lot of it is just figuring out like what what do you need? Who's your support? What are your strengths and struggles like? And just having like just getting to know each other in that way.
1: Yeah. Even coming in with that list just makes me think that's why they came to you in the first place. They probably have so much on their to-do list that they can't do. And if you just hand them something else, it was like, well, here are all the action steps. They're like, I'm drowning.
3: Yeah. You create buy-in around the thing, like creating access to the things. That's the, like how do you unlock the access to those things and identify who you can outsource to. And a lot of my client, like my type of client has changed over the last year. And I've, kind of almost exclusively work with people that own businesses now. Um not intentionally, but just the way that's evolved. And they're different kind of clients, I guess. Or they mask more, right? So it takes hard it takes longer to get to the person.
0: I think about or always use the analogy of swimming. You know, folks want the immediate fix, like we're saying, and they want the action. Like tell me what to do. Hell, I've even texted Andy before asking for advice on things and he coaches me and I'm like, no, Give me your insight. And then after a couple of seconds, of course, I'm like, all right, fine. You're right. I got it. Thank you. But I always tell people that it's like when you're learning to swim, you need to wear a life jacket or you need to wear floaties while you're learning to swim, right? You need, to, you need something now to stop you from drowning. And you also have to learn how to swim, right? You have to be doing both at the same time. So it's important to have some tools that you can put into place and actionable items that you can use right now today. So that you feel safe enough to learn how to swim.
1: I think that's a great kind of segue into one of our next questions, because let's say you're someone who's just learning how to swim, but you are watching somebody who's training for the Olympics, like in the lane over to you and you look at them and you're thinking, I should be able to do that. I'm in the same pool. How do you look at that and know in yourself, like that's not realistic for me but how can you strive to be the best version of yourself as they're also being the best version of
0: themselves? I think the first question, anytime I tell clients this all the time, when the, the word should pops up, challenge it
3: with who says.
0: I agree. I, I say the same thing. And then also do the work to learn to trust your truth.
3: I think there's a, there's a big difference between coaching men and women. And um, for a long time I had... Uh, mostly women and now I have mostly men and it's hard to get to like it's really, I have two phases in coaching and in certain types of coaching environments like the first six sessions and second session, six sessions and the first, the goal of the, the first one is just to be transparent with the, like just to get to kind of know each other and to to dig into what you're actually here for like and to, to create a rapport and I found that with women and it's just different where women are more transparent and will tell you what the issues are like right up front in the, in the first session or two.
1: I work with both and I have to say everyone gets to their point at a different level. I mean, it's some men are very vulnerable because they're already seeking help from the very beginning and therefore they're in a different headspace and some women are so used to masking and being guarded that they didn't know that even if they're in a safe space. So, and then sometimes I get everything in between where they're just like at a place where I'm going to explode. I need to just word vomit all the things that are going to like go through their head and feel like they have a safe space to, to talk about it. But I'd love to know, like, how are you reframing that negative self-talk and that negative self-image when they're really starting to reach out to you to say,
0: I need a change.
1: And I need to stop looking at everybody else who's doing it better than me.
0: So the first thing that I would say is I think it would depend on the coaching approach. I would imagine that most folks that are trained as life coaches, its I'm only going to speak for myself. Let me back that up. And maybe for Andy, we're not doing anything for them. We're not telling them anything to do. You know, it's just asking the questions like, who says, or I'm curious what led you to that conclusion, or why is it that you think that you need to be where they are? or
3: Yeah, how true is that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then, like Amy said, just holding that space to let them sort through that, because sometimes it's as simple as asking that question, like, who says you should be there? Or I wonder how much, how long they've been working to get here. And then just sitting and holding that space for them to answer that question for themselves.
2: Yeah. Well, and Bree, I loved your analogy about the swimming too. I use something similar um, in terms of the river and and treading water versus surfing, right? And how, uh, you know, oftentimes clients will come to me and they're treading water, they're playing whack-a-mole, they've got so much that they're trying to do. And they're like, help me do all the things because t- I've got too much and I'm overloaded and I'm burnt out. And then it's like, well, you're not going to do all the things, so we need to not do all the things. And then, like you were saying, Andy, like who can we delegate to? Who can we offload to? Who can we ask for support? How can we not do all the things? Uh, But oftentimes, when you are treading water, you can't make those decisions because you're just in a survival mode. Like You have to figure out how to get to the shore so that you can then even look around at what's in front of you and say, okay, what can I not do? And, you know, and I think that's one of the hardest things is to is to get from a state of overwhelm to a state of decision making. If that makes sense. I don't know. Is there a way that you can that you coach people through that? Or or, or is there something that works for you when you're finding that you're suddenly in those treading water moments in life?
3: Something I've been doing with people for about the last year is we have them like identify their team. So I have them like if they have a significant other, some clients, they don't utilize their significant other as their, their person their, but everyone has somebody. And so like looking at how, like who you can kind of like, we, and then we sit down, and we have a weekly meeting or set up a time for a weekly sit down to talk about the week and what has to happen. And, and in that, you know, we look at understanding the, the impact your energy has on other people as well as supporting and being supported so like a lot of times just having these conversations about like what the expectations for the upcoming week month are and what what you're best suited to handle and what you need supported and how you can support someone else that's really been a like a kind of a game changer for my clients and people you know they fall off and you know they don't do it every week but then they can return back to it but i think that just talking about it and and letting go of some of expectations you have yourself
1: i love the fact that you had them identify their people their safeguards their their support system because i think often there's like that rejection sensitivity that comes up like nobody's there for me i'm alone in this and the fact that you're like here's my person who's right here who's waiting to help me be the best version of myself they want to help you. They want to help you in the best way. I love that you help them in the
0: Yeah, identifying, like, what is it that, what, how do I need support? How can they support me? And what I tell clients to go back to Katie's question around beginning to see, like, what can I put down? The imagery that I use, because I'm all about metaphors, is, you know, the juggling imagery. Some balls are plastic and some are glass. And so the critical piece is identifying the glass balls. Those are the only ones you have to keep in the air. And what I tell clients is what you can see, you can manage. So how can you take that jumbled ball of thoughts in your brain, how can we get them in a format that you can see what's really happening so that you can make some choices? Because if you can't see it, you can't manage it. And I had a client that I was talking to yesterday who told me that she's discovered this way that really works for her. And she has one of her people, like Andy was talking about, type as she paces back and forth and talks. So she really struggles to do a brain dump on her own to think about all of her things and write it on paper, like works for a lot of people. But if she can pace back and forth and just say the words, and she has a friend that's typing out all the things that she's saying, and then she has this jumbled mess out of her head and on paper so that she can then do something with it. And I was like, well, that's perfect. I'm going to offer that to everybody now because that's an incredible way to do it.
1: That's so special, but it's also what I think is so unique is that's so individualized to that person, and even if you recommend it to your other clients, somebody might not do that, and if they didn't do that, that's okay, and if you do that, and that helps you, that's okay, and the comparison game doesn't have to look like apples to apples.
0: It's what elements of this tool sound helpful.
3: Yeah, yeah, it comes down to what do you need right now.
1: Exactly. I love that. I, I think a lot of people, and I'm sure they ask you this too, but do you feel like there's a situation where you've caught yourself comparing maybe each other coaches or you've caught yourself comparing to your friends when there was something that was overwhelming to you? And like, I just want to do that. Like, how do you handle those situations? It's so much easier to tell other people, but when you're experiencing it yourself, it just, do you put the coaching hat on? What do you do?
3: I don't know. I've kind of gotten to a place in my life right now where there are certainly, and I won't, there are certainly areas where I still compare myself to others, but for the most part, like I know I'm a different breed of animal and like everyone needs a, Gen- my wife is Jennifer. Everyone needs a Jennifer in their life. The way that she can just do things. And like, we really, and we, we talk about it, how I'm super strong in in some areas and she's super strong in other areas. And I don't, I don't want to be neurotypical, to be completely frank. Like it's my brain's is crazy, and so it's and I very much enjoy it at this age in my at this stage in my life because I work for myself because I don't have any boss telling me that I'm not doing things correctly, or that I have a significant other that understands, and I'm able to like we're, we've gotten a place in our marriage where we can talk about the if when I'm adding stress, you know we can talk about that, and and um, and I don't have to feel guilty about it. So. I guess, like the, compar- like the more you get into it, you know, then the less and less I suffer by comparison because I'm happy to be me.
1: I love that. You have to be in such a safe space for yourself to love yourself enough to say that. I feel similarly, like I don't want to be neurotypical. There's something so unique to us. And when you get to a place where you could feel that, I think so many more opportunities also open up as well. I think one
2: of the biggest ways I've been able to reframe asking for help too, and and some of the things I try to work on with my clients is reminding ourselves that we're not a burden when we are asking for help, right? That like you had said, Alex, earlier, we were like, allow people to help you. Most of the time they want to, and it makes them feel really good to help you, right? So it's sort of a symbiotic relationship, but we have to get out of that mindset that I am a burden or that I am somehow broken if I need help, right? And this is something I think that women especially are really socialized to feel like they can't ask for help unless they have done everything they possibly can on their own before they can ask for help. But I'm curious, uh, Andy, that is one of the things we talk about a lot, which is like, you should ask for help immediately. <laughs> you shouldn't have to do things, especially if you don't like them. Do you feel like there is a, a, a difference when you're working with men too? Because I feel like men also have a really hard time asking for help. Like I, I feel like it might be a different type of difficulty, but does that resonate? That idea of like, you know, this pressure that you have to do things all by yourself?
3: I, I found that it depends on their... Uh, their ability to be transparent in their communication skills and whoever they're partnered up with or so whatever relationship like, they're in. So in a, like, like when you said, like you have to work to not feel like a burden. Well, I know that I'm a burden sometimes and I'm okay with that. It's like a credit card, right? So like, if you don't have it right now, you know, you'll have it in 30 days. And, and so like sometimes I know that I'm a burden and I'm OK with it if I express like, hey, listen, thank you for picking up the slack. I see that. And I'm going to make and I'm going to I'm going to make your life easier in my way tomorrow. The day Yeah. It used to cause shame and spiral, but over, you know, but not so much anymore. And with certain people, when it does, I'll just remove them from my life.
0: Exactly. You have to question. What is it about this relationship that's making me feel like I'm the problem?
3: Yeah, I cut very quick.
2: Mm, I love the way you framed that. That was awesome. That yes, actually you are a burden, but that's okay as well. Right. And I feel that, yeah, I feel like gratitude as, as much as I kind of roll my eyes at gratitude practice and, and journaling and that sort of thing. Sometimes I feel like gratitude is such a huge part. It it really is, especially when it comes to um, self-compassion and being able to allow other people to take up the slack, but then also have the gratitude for those people helping you.
1: It's also a really good point to like bring back that you have value. And I think that a lot of people, when they're in those places of comparison or they're frustrated and they need help that they feel like what what other skills they have are not valuable and that they are less than and when you build around that gratitude for yourself and remind yourself that you are loved you are supported that you are worthy that you can be okay valuing yourself too and what you bring to the table
0: Because there might be things that people are going to you for. I tell clients frequently that so often, this is true for humans of any neurotype, but especially those of us who feel like we've spent our entire lives trying to prove that we're not lazy or trying to believe that we're competent and capable. We often miss our gifts because we have grown to believe that if something is easy for us, then it's not valuable. And if we can... Challenge that thought and say, wait a minute, there are plenty of things that I see other people do that are easy for them, but they're hard for me. So what if something that's easy for me is hard for someone else? What if that's possible? Just, just questioning, what if? And if you start to lean into, wait, just because something's easy for me doesn't mean it's easy for others, then maybe this is what's special about me.
3: That's really,
0: I
1: love that. I love getting to that point with people, too. I would love to just like kind of bring it back and say if there was like any experiences that you were having that you would really want people to learn from maybe maybe something that you didn't do well that you were comparing yourself to that you would have said, you know what, this is where I need to make the change of how I could see myself in this positive light and reframing it.
0: I think that shows up for me regularly and it's so interesting. I love that we're kind of having this conversation the way that that we are because it's kind of tough when you're on the other side of it because the beauty of ADHD is that we forget. So even though I remember the pain of the comparison, now that I'm here, I'm like, yeah, I compare myself all the time and also I recognize, just like Andy said, like I have so much inherent value and I now trust the concept that Not no single person of any neurotype can do everything well. So one of the things that immediately comes up for me, I am here on this trip with a dear friend who is a fantastic photographer and she's a hairstylist. So when we go out for the day, her hair looks gorgeous, right? Like this is simple. This is a super simple analogy. And I'm like, how do I put it in a ponytail, Morgan? Help me, right? And in that moment, I am instantly met with, here's the thing that you can't do well. That's is one example that happens to be in front of me, but it doesn't change anything about who I am. It doesn't change anything about my experience or the company or how we spend our time together. And so now I'm able to see that as just like, here's a thing about her and a thing about me, right? These are just facts about each of us. And the reason that I'm able to accept that now is one, because of radical acceptance. And two, I literally pull from, I pulled out a, a worksheet out of my own group course of questions for emotional regulation and challenging these thoughts. So the tools that I offer my clients, I use on a regular basis. It's not just magic that I feel or I'm able to see the value in myself now. I sometimes sit down and, and do the things that I used to believe were a complete waste of time, spend 30 minutes writing out the answers to all these questions to challenge my thoughts because now I don't carry that weight with me all day. I work through it, and then I move on, and I'm able to enjoy my day.
2: Absolutely. And I feel like, you know, it's uh, thinking about how, you know, coming back from a vacation recently with my husband, we were in Montreal, and we were all sorts of debauchery. And, and we were, so we were like coming home. And, you know, we're talking about how we have we fell off the wagon, and how we've turned over leaves, and what are the leaves we're going to turn over? We always joke about turning over leaves and how there's just more leaves on the other side, right? And like, But it just was reminding me as you were talking, Brie, I feel like one of the things I am able to have so much more grace with myself about is my inconsistency and the fact that I fall off the wagon all the time and that my life is always a shit show and that I'm always turning over leaves, but that's like part of being human. And without that feeling like somehow it's defining my worth or is that it's defining my success... I'm not a failure as a result. Like it's just makes that transition so much smoother to just have that sense of humor about it to be like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just trying. And here we are trying again and back in the saddle. So I think it does speak to what you had said at the very beginning of our conversation, Bree, about like how important it is to do the work around, that self concept first before you start saying okay now what are these leaves I'm going to turn over and what are these actionable tasks I'm going to take and what is on my to-do list like really to be able to say like to be able to look at yourself with that grace and compassion first makes so everything else fall into line so much easier
1: also i just want to say you mentioned like falling off the wagon i feel like what is so interesting is that you everybody thinks that you need to like stay on this wagon and that's the only way you can function and succeed but we need variety and if we were staying on the wagon and it looked exactly the same and we were always going in a forward direction we'd be so bored. It's like well I could go down this path and I'd still get to my destination or I could go down this path like you have to you have to change it or else you won't be consistent about it.
0: There's a reason my tagline for my business is redefined, consistent and nuance. Life is about nuance, right? I'm sitting in a room right now that's all glass twice. I've been here for three days. I'm not kidding when, when I say what I'm about to say. I have gotten out of the bed and I have ran into this glass door twice in two days, right? And all I did was laugh. I'm like, this is hilarious. Like I just ran into a glass door twice. Like I'm a cardinal bird flying into windows. And that ridiculous truth changes nothing about my intelligence. It changes nothing about my ability to coach. And so practicing nuance, practicing paradox, and holding two conflicting truths at the same time is critical to our success.
2: And like Andy had said earlier, there's going to be a lot of things I suck at, and I'm just going to suck at those things. But there's so many things I'm good at. And so really like thinking about reminding ourselves what we bring to the table a lot of the time, I think can be, can be very helpful to our self-concept because we don't tend to think about that. It doesn't, I don't feel like thinking about what we're good at comes naturally for us because it's not interesting. Like you said, Brie, like, it's more interesting to think about all the things we suck at.
1: It's also people telling you, you suck at things all the time.
0: Well, yeah. We're also biologically wired to remember the negatives. Like, it's a survival mechanism. It's important to know, hey, there's a lion over there. I need to remember where that lion maps. We are designed. It is It is nature that we cling to the negative things. So we have to do the work. And this is where gratitude comes in, Katie. We are rewiring our brain. Right. So reticulating my brain. I don't remember right now. But there's a piece of your brain that we have to reprogram to be able to see the good. And that's true about ourselves, too. So. I challenge people all the time at the end of every day before you lay down or when your alarm goes off in the morning just name three things that you're grateful for right and if it's the same three things every day in the beginning because life feels really friggin' hard that's okay too
2: how do you remember to do that i've tried that so many times to journal and or do, do the three gratitude things at night and i've like written it down and i can i always forget and then i get frustrated i'm just talking uh, asking
0: for a friend
1: <laughs> covered that really well katie <laughs>
0: I will say at this point, I've probably been practicing or or trying to remember for 10 years. So it's just been a thing that I came back to over and over again, right? Like every time I remember, I do it. And also I will tell you because gratitude has saved me so much. I have visual reminders in some way or another all over my world. So it's just practice, right? I have a reel coming out about this like exactly that question but how do I know to pause how do I remember to do mindfulness how do I remember gratitude practice just do it anytime you think about it without adding meaning to it and then eventually your brain will be like oh yeah there's the thing
1: I had a friend in college who would send quotes of the day and she would send like she would send it as a group text every morning and it was like here's the quote of the day like I hope this means something to you and I am not close with her anymore, but I will never forget that because it was like she not only took a moment to give gratitude for herself and remind herself of something that was really hard, but she did it for others. And it was really special. It was really, really special. And I, um, I had reconstructive ankle surgery a couple of years ago, and I started putting, posting like a quote of the day for the month. And I can't even tell you how many people reach out to me from like, literally from elementary school, who I didn't even know I was still friends with, like on social media. It was like, these quotes meant so much to me. So if you feel like you are struggling to hold yourself accountable to do something of gratitude, we tend to do things for other people way more easily than we do for ourselves. We like to have that accountability. Find a way to do it for others because it's really for you too. And searching for the, the moments of gratitude can be really healing that you can keep a folder of it on your phone or in your email or somewhere that's always accessible to you.
3: Mm. I try to tell my clients uh, over and over too, this is what I do, is I try to simplify my life. I don't try to do all the things. I try to like do the things that matter to me. Like, And then constantly, like you're saying, like falling off the wagon. I don't even see it as falling off the wagon. I see it as a season ending. You know, so if I'm not, if I'm not doing the things that I'm trying to hold myself accountable for that aren't serving the purpose that I intended any longer, then fuck it. I'm not going to do that anymore. And I'll move on to what's next. I try to simplify, simplify, get down to the lowest common denominator for simply everything. Like I'm down to, oh, Jen threw it away. But I, I like fold up. A piece of paper and put six and I just do morning and afternoon like what am I doing like what am I what am I focusing on just to get to simple 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 because complexity is just a recipe for what will be what can be internalized as failure and that's uh, that's what I'm trying not to do
1: yeah I always call that level one like this is your game if you, if you finish the round and you're going to play the game again, what's your level one? What's your basics? And I think that's a, the, the sixth rule. I love that. I, I would love to be able to kind of wrap up this conversation, and I want people to be able to take away some tangible tools when they're really struggling with that self-comparison game or reframing what might be feeling negative at that point. So Bree or Andy, what are some thoughts you'd love to leave for our audience to take away with?
0: I would say if you need an actual tangible thing to do, think about questions you can ask yourself to challenge the thought. So if the cue is the word should, or I can't, or I'm not enough, but the big one is typically like, I should be able to do this, or that shouldn't be hard. Ask the question, either the who says, Or I really love the question, what else could be true? What else could be true? The gratitude, what am I grateful for about myself in this moment? And if that feels too hard, what would my mom, my best friend, my partner say they're grateful for about me? But those specifically, what else could be true? Who says I should or shouldn't? And what am I grateful for in this moment?
3: What was the question again?
1: Basically, what do we want people to leave with? Some tangible tools when they feel like they are comparing themselves or reframe, need to reframe how they feel about their ADHD or learning disability.
3: I've found that we work work mostly with uh, triggers and buttons is uh, like a, a huge huge component. And because of simplification, you know, I just try to try to notice in your body when you are triggered like so just recognize that it's happening not try to stop it but just recognize that something, some place some situation some like some recipe causes you to feel it and for me it's up here in my chest like well right now I have got I have GERD uh, reflux and I forgot to pick up my prescription refill so it's like "Mm," you know but same place different feeling when it's coming up and you're like oh man like I stop and ask myself, and I've gotten very good at this in myself, is to, to ask myself what it is that is causing me to start to spin and then just think back. And a lot of times that diffuses it. So becoming aware, practicing, becoming aware of your triggers and the surrounding circumstances that, that does it, Most of that'll diffuse most of them. And when it's not, you know, you, you're going, if you're not trying to stop it, you're trying to recognize it. So hard, but so
2: powerful. Well said. Yeah, I always find frustration, the emotion of frustration. Yeah, the emotion of frustration means you are trying to force something that doesn't want to be forced. So even that emotion alone, I find has become a trigger for me, which is like, what am I trying to force here? beautiful. You guys are awesome. I'm so I knew I knew you would have such amazing wisdom. Um, and and I'm so I'm so just thrilled that I got you in the same room of um, this is I've been looking forward to this for so long. Thank you so much. So for um, your website is current ADHD? Yes, yeah, current ADHD.com. Oh, really? Perfect. Okay. Um, and what about you, Andy? How can people reach you and find you?
3: You can uh, find me on Instagram and DM me, but I'm taking very, very few clients now.
2: But you're also you also work with people who are interested in doing
3: real estate investment. Yeah, I was just recently featured on Bigger Pockets podcast, which is the biggest podcast in the world for real estate. Congratulations! And so that it was pretty wild. But yeah, we we changed gears last year, Jen and I, and so we purchased some um, some real estate, and so we have 13 apartments now, or 13 condos, condos, and so we're spending a lot of time on that and trying to buy more. And so it's uh, it's been fun.
2: Uh, I always love checking in with ADHD people to be like, "What is your what new business did you start this year?"
0: <laughs> oh, you're not kidding. I'd love to point folks to Katie to my Instagram, which is just current ADHD coaching.
2: Yes, of course. I'll I'll, I'll always have your Instagram link there because um, yeah, it's where I find you too. But thank you guys so much for joining us today. It's um, been a real treat.
0: Thank you, Katie. It's it's good to catch up. It's been too long. Thanks. And that's a wrap
2: for this
1: episode of the ADHD
2: Lounge podcast.
1: Thank you for listening and make sure to join us over at ADHDlounge.com. We've got resources, co-working,
2: workshops, and a community of amazing ADHD folks just like yourself. And you can also attend these recordings live where you can ask questions and join in these discussions as they're happening. So make sure to head over to the ADHDlounge.com to join us today. And you can find that link in the show notes.
1: And if you've made it this far and you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback means the world to us and it helps us reach more listeners who could benefit from these conversations. Seriously, do it. Go now before you forget.